Welcome to the Grow Through International Expansion podcast. I'm Oliver Dowson. Let me be your guide as to how businesses, all kinds of businesses, small and large, can grow, solve their business problems, increase their profits, and grow their value. In these podcasts, we talk to all sorts of interesting people that bring their skills, experience, and insights to all aspects of international expansion. I hope you like these podcasts. If you do, subscribe and keep listening every week. We love comments too. And do share and tell others and check out our resources on our growinternational.org website. Almost everyone seems to agree that companies, manufacturers and service sector companies could all export a lot more than they currently do. If that's so, then what's holding them back? My guest today is Andy Moylan, and he points to two key factors. One is simply the lack of accurate information and advice backed up by real practical experience. The other is fear of not getting paid. It can be bad enough chasing payments in your own country, but how do you go about it in a far distant one? And what can you fall back on if all else fails? Andy's been working with exporters for over 30 years. So his knowledge of the hurdles that they face is encyclopedic. His business, EFCIS, is a credit broker that exists to insure exporters against loss. He and his team have developed a unique process that they call de-risk. It's a system that exporters can use to assess the risk of a potential overseas customer from defaulting before they even invest any time and effort in preparing a quotation. From what I've seen, it looks to be one of the most useful, comprehensive and powerful tools available to exporters, and better still, there's no charge. So that's the not getting paid problem resolved. But what about the lack of good practical information? Andy and his team have come up with a solution to that too. Six months ago, disenchanted with the negativity that surrounded Brexit, Andy was creating the Export Hub, a non-profit making website with the sole purpose of helping small businesses export with confidence and certainty. That's intended to grow into a comprehensive resource of contacts and useful articles all written by experienced people who've gone there and done that. It's a similar philosophy to our platform here, Grow Through International Expansion, but with a specific focus on encouraging exports. As you'll hear, Annie is a plain speaking entrepreneur. Over the last 30 years, he's helped many small businesses and household brands to export, starting from identifying the risk in their export plan through to raising finance and protecting their sales ledger. He's never been content to follow the herd, and he and his team have always looked for new solutions. So they've developed a range of online tools, not just the ones I've been talking about before. And he's also a headline speaker at events around the world, where he shares his hard-won insights and practical case studies and experience on exporting. So, without further introduction, here's my conversation with Andy Moylan. Andy, great to have you here today on the Growth Through International podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. I think we've got several things to talk about, but I think maybe we better start with EFCIS, which I've already forgotten what the acronym stands for. Tell us. Yeah, FCIS stands for Enhanced Finance Credit Insurance Services. Uh, it was a good idea at the time, the name. Uh, we're a trade credit insurance broker that helps some of the leading brands to trade around the world by providing what we call trade credit insurance protection. So they supply on open credit and due to non-payment, typically due to insolvency 
of the end customer they can claim on this policy. So this is when they're exporting goods or maybe services as well to another country? Yeah, absolutely. I said uh, domestically you can get insurance, but uh, what we concentrate on is really helping companies to identify and to protect themselves against trading globally. Right. Uh, And obviously that must um, be a big concern to most companies that are heading into export because it's... uh, they must be scared enough of whether they're going to get paid here, never mind by somebody many thousands of miles away. Yeah, I agree. The first thing is to note that companies that do export tend to be 20% more profitable. Uh, however, that's balanced out by there is some increased risk. Uh, and part of the risk is identifying what financial information is available, but also from a legislation point of view, also from a legal point of view, what happens in the event of non-payment and uh-huh. so credit insurance will cover both the insolvency but also would assist in collecting that debt in those countries as well. So does that come at a very high price or a very long delay? No, typically a policy would pay out within 30 days from date of insolvency uh, and that's the vast majority of claims, probably as high as 80% of all claims lodged. And there's something called protracted default, which can take up to 180 days. Uh-huh. But also you've got political risk cover. Uh, so that would typically be paid out within that period as well. So it's really to protect the working capital of the company as well. So claims are paid quickly on receipt of documentation, but it can vary depending upon the insured loss. So one of our listeners, for example, who runs a business, hasn't exported before, gets the potential to bid for a great export opportunity to another country, let's call it Taiwan for the minute. And they've never done it before, and this is a huge deal for them, but they've got to get the quote in really quickly because it's competitive tender. Yep. How long does it take to actually find out if it's an insurable risk? Good question. Um, there is available to us uh, uh, grades and information on companies around the world. You know, we've got access through the underwriters to 48,000 companies. Some of those companies you will not get that information from a traditional information company. So the first thing they should do is give us a call. We will then go online and we'll let them know whether that company is credit worthy or not and therefore is it likely to be insured and we can do that immediately on the phone and if we don't know the company then which is unusual these days it can take up to seven days to get an up-to-date report. That's not quite reasonable. I I guess that despite the fact it seems to me like a no-brainer that one needs such insurance there must be companies who go out and do it without. Yeah, I think as an industry, I don't think we're great in promoting the the tangible benefits of trade credit insurance. Uh, I think there's companies that have been exporting for years. Uh, They know the market, they know the buyers, they feel comfortable with that risk. And when they're looking to expand into new territories, they may well look at credit insurance. So I'd even say that if I wasn't in the industry and I was exporting, I would would buy credit insurance, trade credit insurance. And does this export credit only relate to physical goods or does it relate to services as well? Yeah, another good question. Uh, If you look at, as a UK, 20% of what we export is physical goods, therefore 80% is services. Right. Therefore the policy would also cover services as well. So for example, recruitment to the old industry in the Middle East. So both services and goods could be covered under the policy or indeed both. Okay, so... 
It seems like a great idea and building on from you know your great ideas, I know you've created something called a de-risk strategy. You need to explain it to me, never mind to the listeners, because so that it sounds like a great idea in principle. Tell us. Yeah, the de-risk process is the only benefit of uh, being 30 years in the trade credit insurance industry, 10 years within underwriting, is that you learn a lot. And you learn a lot by talking to clients, listening to how they export, uh, the mistakes they made. Um, and then what we've done over those 30 years, we've looked at all the individual risk facets of exporting. And that's from the supply of the goods, so what is the financial risk of your supplier, all the way to is your end customer gonna pay you on time. And within that de-risk model, it will look at areas like profit erosion, uh, foreign exchange risk, uh, debtor risk, uh, finance risk. So it tries to break down the individual risk component and then comes up with a score. And what we have identified is where you have a de-risk score greater than 85%, mm-hmm. you have a high probability that you'll get paid for that transaction. And if it's below that, you then look at the individual components that make up that score and see whether you can improve any area, yeah, therefore improving the score and therefore improving the likelihood of payment. And this is unique to EFSIS. Okay, and so presumably by reducing the risk the credit insurance premium goes down? The underwriters have lots of information available. So they have payment performance information, Mm -hmm. management accounts, so they would make their own risk assessment. What we believe as brokers is that we equally got to help the clients to make some of these risk decisions. And when it comes to credit insurance, it really just protects the company against the failure of the end customer. It doesn't really give a score in respect of the transaction pre-dispatch. So what currency are you buying? What currency are you selling in? Are you getting the goods inspected? So it's it's a full spectrum of, of risk assessment rather than just uh, the end customer risk. Okay, so it's effectively also including the hedging element as far as there is one. Yeah, we work with uh, one of the world's largest uh, foreign exchange companies and they've worked with us to build uh, a module, a risk component within the de-risk that helps us to identify potential hedging. And that's increasingly important as we move forward because if you look at the growth in exports, it will come from emerging markets. And the strategy yes. for export have said that 90% of future GDP growth will come from emerging markets. And those markets don't trade in sterling, don't trade in euros, and don't trade in dollars. So I can see a sort of cynical exporter who's actually sort of bought the insurance saying, OK, fine, you know, I, as long as they'll give me insurance for it, I, quite frankly, at that point, stop caring whether the end customer pays or not. Because if they don't, I get the money from the insurance company. What's the incentive, therefore, behind de-risk, apart from helping the insurer? Okay, the important thing to note is that most insurance policies would have a a first loss, similar to an excess on a car. Okay. So whether that's expressed as a a figure, like 5,000, or 90% cover. So the whole concept of insurance, there has to be an element of risk that the insured must take themselves. And also, if you look at the terms and conditions of the policy, there is a requirement to be prudent and there is a requirement to do a number of simple steps to make sure that you potentially mitigate against that loss. So in the true sense of the word, it's working in partnership with the exporter, us as brokers and the underwriter to facilitate and enable global trade and to make sure as a partnership that that end customer pays. Right. 
So you have to do this for every transaction, basically? Typically, most policies will have what's called a discretionary limit. Uh, and for example, an exporter turning over 5 million mm -hmm. would have a discretionary limit of 10,000, where they can justify credit yeah, without referring to the underwriter. So anything above that, meaning a balance greater than 10,000, they would need to get an approval from the underwriter, but that's simply done by logging onto the system and applying for the credit limit. And in a lot of cases, that limit could be auto-approved and therefore they are insured. Okay, so that seems reasonably straightforward. Um, I, I know this is sort of like a leading question, but how expensive is credit insurance? Is there such a thing as a simple answer? No, there is, uh, but there's many factors. There's many factors, including the countries you're exporting to, the, the quality of the debtors, uh, insurable turnover, uh, and your historic bad debts. If I give you an example, someone exporting turning over 5 million with a loss ratio, uh, a loss ratio meaning claims versus premium, as a percentage less than 60%, would pay in the region of 0.325% of that five, so 15 to 16,000 pounds. Well, this is an answer. I remember actually going to a seminar run by a government-related export finance agency asking the same question um, and getting a political answer, as they call it, which basically means no answer at all. If, uh, if we're <laughs> specialists in these markets, uh, we've got to be willing to, to answer these questions and not only willing, be able and the only benefit, as I said earlier, I've got 30 years experience. So uh, if I'm not Absolutely. able to give you an indication of cost, I, you know, with respect, I shouldn't be a specialist credit insurance broker. Absolutely. Now let's lead on to the, the third thing I wanted to talk about, which is to me the most exciting part of it, which is your creation of the Export Hub. So tell us about the Export Hub, because in a way that sounds very compatible with what we're doing here at Growth Through International Expansion. Okay, thank you. Yeah, it's been, we spoke to a lot of clients over the last two years uh, and it became evident to us that there was certainly some aspirations for SMEs to, to grow their business uh, export. There was, and we recognise there's lots of information available from either private companies or government bodies. But even with my 30 years experience, when I went on to a lot of these websites, I was somewhat confused as to what it offered, what the information was. And also there has to be a realisation, if you look at the, the culture and the dynamics in an SME, is they haven't got time to digest the information. They want simple solutions, they want simple tips, they want someone to help them to identify the risk and help them to export. So I felt at the time that there was no website where an SME or indeed a larger mid-market company could go to to get simple, impartial support and advice. So what we decided to do was to create the Export Hub, so www.theexporthub.com. And it's, it's, it's a partnership. We're working with companies such as yourself, as well as other large companies who specialize in giving support and advice for export. The driver at the end of the day is that we're not selling what we do, we're giving advice. Yeah, we're helping companies to make that informed, measured decision as to whether exporting is right for them. And it's important to note that exporting isn't right for every single company. Mm -hmm. However, we believe that there should be more companies in the UK exporting both services and goods. I'd go as far to say that we have to, for the economy, make sure that we increase the level of exports. So the more support, the more advice, the more people we can help to export, then we think that will overall help the UK economy. And all this is, is offered free of charge. There's no charge to join. 
they, they simply go on, get what information they need, and then contact who they need to contact from there on. So, in essence, it's very similar philosophy to us here at Growth Through International Expansion, except that uh, we're, we recognise that exporting is great, but we also recognise that a whole other uh, range of ways of expanding internationally or working internationally are great too. So we cover, you know, maybe a, a different uh, range of topics, a little bit um, less specifically than exports, but it's great to have you here and make the link. Um, and we tend to do it through these podcasts where we talk to people while they're driving home or doing their work or whatever else it is people do while they listen to podcasts. So the articles on your platform look really good. And uh, I know I'm going to have one of mine on there too, so I'm not making a personal plug. <laughs> um, and it does look like a great idea. Yeah, I think what's important about the articles is, is that not only have we gone to companies that can give advice and support to export, but we've also gone to companies that have exported. And sometimes in business mm. and indeed in life, oh, cool. yeah, it's, it's learning from the mistakes that other companies have made. Yeah. So we're fortunate enough that we're talking to, to companies who are willing to share their experiences to not just by sharing their experience. It's all about and it's an important phrase that we use. We want to excite export. We want people to start to feel comfortable with the concept. And sometimes by listening to experiences of others who have made mistakes, corrected those mistakes and have benefited from exporting. We think that should give and encourage companies to export more. And in addition to that, we're also asking companies, partners who provide services or support to be very simple in the message they give. So in other words, three key steps. Yeah, like How can we impart the knowledge from this provider onto the exporter so they can tick a box? And sometimes it's a mental tick they do. But again, it's just making sure that this, this complexity of export is simply explained, give comfort, and then excite exports. And that's like... I couldn't agree more about the importance of you know speaking from experience and having contributions from people who are prepared to admit their mistakes i mean i've got my upteen years um more than 30 in international business and boy the number of mistakes i've made have been legion um and i'm happy to share them um, I've been sharing them in articles and in podcasts here on Growth Through International Expansion, um, simply because I don't want other people to make the same mistakes, and I want to see business succeed. Um, and I think it's an important thing to make it actually happen. So my hat off to you for um, doing that for exports, Thank you. Um, because you've got access to people working in export with experience of export who can do that. And there's far too much of the information that comes or advice that comes from public bodies in particular, which come from people who've never actually worked internationally, never mind exported anything in their lives. I think you're right. Uh, I think the government bodies have a place. I think they do a good job. I don't think that they do a complete job. I think there's some gaps in advice that they give. And I think that what we notice when we speak to organisations like the government bodies and banks, unfortunately, mm. there seems to be less and less specialist in international trade. Uh, so that's why we're excited to work with, with your company because mm. what you do bring to the table is practical, proven, yeah, making mistakes along the way, advice that will help and encourage more SME companies to export. Exactly. 
And I think the government bodies are great at things like research and affecting introductions, the sorts of things that government bodies can do. That being said, the people who are talking don't know anything about the widgets you make and they don't have experience of actually exporting anything for themselves or running their own business. And that's where the issues come in, that's where the questions come in, and glib answers don't cut it. No, they don't. And what we've experienced is when companies who have attempted to export, when they come across a barrier, and it could be a very simple barrier, like they don't understand the way in which you negotiate a contract in a certain country. It could be aggressive, it could be passive. They then use that as an excuse not to export. So they simply need the ability, the option to speak to someone who has that proven experience of saying, well, what's your experience? And hopefully there'll be an article on the export hub that, that talks about trading and using language and culture and legislation that gives them some really easy tips to make sure when they're trading and they're negotiating in a certain country what to expect and therefore no surprises. So listeners you find all of these articles on the exporthub.com and you'll find a link to it and a link to Andy's business, EFCIS, and an introductory document about the risk process, all on growinternational.org, linked to this podcast together with an article. So you'll find the relevant page and the connection. And if you get lost and find the export hub instead, then I'm sure that very soon you'll find a way of getting back to growinternational.org and looking at some more articles on the different aspects of international expansion. Andy, great to talk to you. Look forward to cooperating a lot in the future and to successful business for us all. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation and this podcast. I really welcome your comments and also suggestions for future conversations. We post new content every week, so please do click on the subscribe button and follow this, the Grow Through International Expansion podcast. You can also find the transcript, other articles and detailed resources relating to this episode on our website, growinternational.org. There, you can also join as a member for future updates and find all our other articles, videos and podcasts and benefit from other features, including free consultations and independent online advice. Again, that's www.growinternational.org. Until next time, this is Oliver Dowson wishing you success and reminding you that international expansion may be easier than you may think. Mm-hmm.